Well, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is the second part of a message that we embarked on last week that we entitled A Tale of Two Cities. And just to review, last week we took a brief journey to the first of these two cities. We discovered what we refer to as the city of man. And the city of man is characterized by, by sin and selfishness. This is the city where people are totally self-consumed. They are self-seeking. They refuse to, to listen to the truth. They refuse to learn the truth. They refuse to obey the truth. And there are no exceptions. When the people in the city hear Jesus claim to be the way the truth and the life. What do the residents of the city of man say? They scoff, they mock, they jeer, they ridicule the Lord Jesus Christ and the claims of the Lord Jesus. You remember I said that the city of man is marked by a spirit of autonomy. Every inhabitant of this city is a law unto himself. There, there is no accountability in the city of man. Instead, people live with reckless Hedonism. Their first inclination, their only inclination, is to sin. In the city of man, every resident refuses to live to the honor and the glory of God. Now we learn something very important about the corrupted faculties of every city in the, the city of man. We learned that the mind and the affections and the will are, are totally corrupted. They're completely corrupted. They, they are depraved. Total depravity means that the natural man, the unconverted man, is never able to do any good that is fundamentally pleasing to God and, in fact, does evil all the time. That is probably the, the most succinct definition of total depravity that you will ever hear. Two passages underscore the radical fallenness of the inhabitants of the city of man. The first is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Early in the sacred text, the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Then move to the pages of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Paul the Apostle writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh, and to be very clear, this is not what some have referred to as the so-called carnal Christian. Please remember, there is no category in the New Testament of a carnal Christian. Rather, this is the portrait of an unconverted, unregenerate person. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now notice, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We call this radical corruption, once again, total depravity. Which, as one writer says, is not just badness, but blindness to beauty and deadness to joy. I want to review once again with you before we move to the city of God. In the city of man, we looked at the corrupted faculties and we looked first of all at the mind. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, we learned that the mind is futile and darkened. Residents of the city of man reject the word of God. They reject the law of God. Residents of the city of man are actually repulsed at the very thought of God. Please understand that before you were a Christian, before I was a Christian, we hated God. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't sound pretty. It's not politically correct. It won't make you smile. But the word of God says this. If you are not following Jesus, you hate God. Your mind is futile and darkened. In verses 18 and 19, Paul turns his attention to the affections. And in verse 18 and 19, he says three things about the affections. What we would call in our culture, the heart. That is that they are ignorant, hardened, and calloused. Several months ago, I did an illustration for the young people that involved a rock and a sponge. And I keep the rock and the sponge on my desk. In fact, every illustration that can fit on my desk, some of them don't, but every one that can fit on my desk, I I leave on my desk as a, a permanent reminder to me and anyone that comes into my study to remember those illustrations. And the rock is a vivid one. Every unconverted person has has affections or a heart that is like a stone. And that stone is, is cold and callous and ignorant, set apart against the knowledge of God and the love of God. Finally, in the remainder of our section that we looked at last week, we considered the will. The will and the will of unconverted people are given over to sensuality. The will of every non-believer is given up to impurity. And so I want to briefly sum up the city of man. The life apart from God, you need to understand, is a a downward spiral. It goes down and down and down. It is described as the late John Stott in the following way. It begins with hardness of heart that we have seen. And then it moves to darkness of heart, to deadness of heart. And finally, as we reach the the bottom of that downward spiral, Stott refers to that heart as recklessness. Unrestrained abandonment to sin. I want to drive home this point by helping you understand... What kind of person we're talking about that lives in the city of man? Some of you this morning are residents of the city of man. Because the the faculties of the mind, the affection, and the will, which, by the way, is is a snapshot of the complete person. It's who you are. That because the the mind, the affections, and the will are totally corrupted, please understand this does not mean that they are as bad as they can possibly be. You see, total depravity doesn't mean that you are Adolf Hitler. Total depravity doesn't mean that you are are apt to end up like Joseph Stalin. Far from it. Because we all know people who live in the city of man, people who we would call good people. They are moral people. Please remember that there is a moderation of sin in the city of man, which is committed... Since God restrains evil through what theologians refer to as common grace. 
And so we see these massive uh, business people in America. These, And we all know who I'm referring to. People who give millions and millions of dollars to the public school system. We, we see people in, in our culture who are philanthropists, who do so-called good deeds. But this is all because God is restraining evil through common grace. So please understand, as we look at the full spectrum of people who live in the city of man, there is, and you may not be able to see this, but on the left you see the first kind of person that lives in the city of man is the crook. We are, we're pretty familiar with the crook, aren't we? This is the person who is incarcerated, who has committed a, some kind of a crime, and now this person is paying the price for his or her crime. Then in the middle, we have the moral person. This is the person that you'll never find in jail. This is the person who, who would never cheat on his or her taxes. This is the person who is the good person, the person who helps the little old lady across the street who does good deeds. And then finally, we have leaders. We have leaders who I've already referred to who are not only good, but they go beyond good to do acts of, of kindness in their community, to, to help their country, to serve as a patriot, to serve in the military. These are all good things. Here's the problem. None of these things that are done by a resident of the city of man is done to glorify the living God. We would all agree that helping that little old lady across the street by someone in the city of man, that's a good deed. The problem is, it is not done for the honor and the glory of God. Additionally, each one of these people, whether it is the crook or the moral person or the leader or whoever it is in the city of man, remember this, each one of these people seeks happiness in the final sense. And I think we can all understand that. We are created in such a way that we desire happiness. Tony Renke says this. He says, The driving motive in history is the desire for happiness. And if you disagree with that, I would submit that you must be very miserable. The driving force in history is the desire for happiness. He continues, All sin, and listen to the gamut here, All sin from slavery to prostitution, to racism, to terrorism, to extortion, to the sparks that ignite world wars are all driven by a desire for happiness apart from God. The author continues, The most desperate problem, their most desperate problem is affectional atheism. Refusing to believe God is the object of our greatest and most enduring joy. This is the heart of their foolishness. The fool speaks from the depths of his affections and longings and declares, God is irrelevant. God is irrelevant. In verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul marks a strong contrast between the city of God and the city of man. What he does here is he identifies a pattern of behavior in the Ephesian believers that needed some very special attention. These followers of Christ were in need of what I would like to refer to as reformation and revival. 
And so in one sentence, Paul challenges them to God-centered, radical obedience. And so this morning, the Word of God will challenge every resident who lives in the city of God. That is, the Word of God will challenge every Christian, every Christ follower who finds himself to be a resident in the city of God. May I remind you that the residents of the city of God are called to be loyal servants of Jesus. They have been invited into this city, a city that offers eternal joy and delight as they submit to the shepherd of their souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. All the residents of this city, that is the city of God, have been invited to find their joy and their happiness and their satisfaction in Jesus. And so I'll ask you today, are you prepared? Are you prepared to be challenged this morning? Is your theological seatbelt clicked around your waist Are you ready to receive the word of God with a heart that is brimming with humility? Are you eager to hear what the Holy Spirit has for you as we open the word of God? And are you prepared to look sin in the face, to cast it aside and renew your love and commitment to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you stand with me as we read this passage once again? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And... To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we have an opportunity to, to hear your voice through your word. We thank you, God, for preserving your word through through the generations, that you have preserved it, that you have protected it. We hold it to be infallible. We recognize that it is God-breathed, that it is inerrant in the original autographs, that it gives us everything we need to know to live the Christian life. Indeed, his divine power has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness, a life that is pleasing to you, God. And so I pray that as we... Uh, move from the city of man to the city of God, that we would we would heed the challenges of your servant, the Apostle Paul, that we would leave with a, a new resolve to to live according to the dictates of Scripture, that you would be greatly glorified by the membership here at Christ Fellowship. And Lord, as I was worshiping along with these people this morning, the words of Richard Baxter, that great Puritan pastor, 
came to my mind where he said so many years ago, as a dying man, I preach to dying men, sure to never preach again. God, may I, I preach this message by your power and by the power of the Holy Spirit as, as if it was the last sermon I would ever preach. And may your people be deeply affected by the truth that we come face to face with today. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we move into the city of God, notice Paul's strategy with the Ephesian believers. He says in verse 17, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You'll recall that that word walk comes from a Greek term that means the, the conduct of our lives. It is how we conduct ourselves. It is everything that takes place from the moment our eyes wake up, or our eyes open rather, to the end of the day when our eyes close. How is it that we conduct our lives? And he implies something here that's fascinating. He implies that these Christ followers in Ephesus who live in the city of God are, are living like unbelievers in the city of man. The verb walk is written in the present tense, which indicates that he is really pointing his finger at these Ephesian believers. He is saying, this is how you live. This is how you conduct yourselves. It's almost as if he has their, his finger in their chest saying, you are living like residents of the city of man. He says something very similar if you would turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. And you can actually hold your finger in Romans 6 because we will be traveling there in a few minutes. But he says something similar in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. He says, what should we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so Paul is telling the Ephesian believers to stop. Stop living like the citizens of the city of man. Stop living like pagans is his cry. In verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians chapter 4, he now admonishes those Ephesian believers, and I believe even includes a, a very subtle brand of sarcasm. See if you can pick it up for yourself. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Notice the sarcasm. Assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul uses three words in verses 20 and 21, three words that all have a learning component. First is the word learned, the word learned, and he also uses the word taught. He uses the word taught and then also the word heard. So learning and heard and taught have this learning component. Each verb is written in a very special tense that indicates the Ephesians were living this kind of life. That is the life of, of paganism in the city of man. In my own words, he said something like this. This is not the way you've been discipled. It's as if a mother says to a son, Honey, this is not how I raised you. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Have you been listening to anything I have taught you, says Paul? 
Then he proceeds to tell them the truth that they should already know. They should already be familiar with this. And so come with me into the city of God and listen carefully to Paul's plea to the Ephesian believers. And if you will get a handle on Paul's passion and his plea for the Ephesian believers that will be very important because his passion and his plea for these believers in Ephesus is also his plea for you and I. He offers three challenges in verses 20 to 24. And I want to walk through these challenges in the remainder of the time that we have this morning. And I want you to see a a bit of a pattern develop. And I'll give you a, a bit of a roadmap in advance. We're going to look at each one of the three challenges successively. But as I walk through the challenges, I want you to see two very important things. First, I want you to see the meaning of the challenge. What does it mean? And then I want you to see the method that we obey that particular challenge. The meaning and then the method. So the first challenge is found in verse 22. Read it with me. To Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The first challenge is very clearly put. We are to put off our old selves. What now is the meaning? The meaning of that term put off means to stop being in a state or condition. It means to literally take off a piece of clothing That's a metaphor that Paul's using, but it means to to stop living like these pagans in the city of man. Paul indicates that we are to put off our old self, that is to say, our former self, especially our former beliefs, our former habits, and our former emotions. Some of you have been a Christian for several months or even a few years. Others of you have been Christ followers for for years and years, decades, even half a century. You've been a believer a long time. Can you remember back when you were a resident in the city of man and you lived like Paul describes in verses 17 through 19? You remember what your mind was geared to. You remember what your heart was like. The way my wife used to put this with our our children is you have a nasty heart right now. And that always made the kids kind of stand a nasty heart. I don't want a nasty heart. Well, in the city of man, we all had nasty hearts. Our minds were futile. Our hearts were ignorant and hardened like a stone. And our wills were defiant. We freely chose to sin. Freely chose to sin. Paul says, enough. Put off the old self. He says that the old self belongs to, quote, your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's what it was like in the city of man. That phrase corrupt means depravity, which we have reviewed. It means to deviate from all that is good and right in the sight of God. And that phrase, deceitful deceitful desires, means this. It means an evil craving which replaces proper affection for God. And so notice again what he says. Put off your old self which belongs to all that nasty stuff. Your, Your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here's what he says. Put off 
all that we were, put off all that we were before we were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things that characterized our minds, all the things that characterized our affections, all the things that characterized our wills, put all that aside. He says, put it off. Now, there are some examples of this, this language of putting off in the New Testament. So hold your finger. I know you have your finger in Romans 6. You might put a bookmarker there. Hold your finger in Ephesians 4. I want to have you turn with me to a few passages and have, have you gaze with your own eyes at these particular passages. The first is found in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 21. And remember this language of, of put off, and you'll, you'll see it emerge here in these passages. James says in James 1.21, Therefore, put away or put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Then look over with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And I don't hear an awful lot of pages turning, which means you all have your Kindles or your phones open. So either turn in your Bibles or flip in your Kindles or tap in your Kindles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what the Apostle says here. But now you must put them all away. That is, you are to put them off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And then finally, near the end of the New Testament, look with me at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter says something interesting here in chapter 2, verse 1. You'll see, you'll, you'll become automatically familiar with this language. He says, so put away or put off all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. All these things we are instructed to put off. And all of these things that we have just gazed at in these three passages, we should be very familiar with. They are things like anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, filthiness, hypocrisy, envy, malice, and deceit. Do you recognize those things? Those are all things that characterize our lives where? In the city of man. And so Paul says this, put those away, put those off. That is our challenge. But I want to move from the meaning to the method. How do we do it? What is the biblical method that the scripture employs? And there are three things I would commend to your attention. The first is commit. If you intend today to obey God, commit to wholehearted obedience. It's very interesting that the tense of the verb to put off indicates this. It indicates there must come a, a time in your life where you make a point in time decision. I will put off all of these things. Now, it doesn't mean you do it perfectly. 
It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you carry these out every day according to God's word. But there comes a time in your Christian life when you say, today is the day I'm going to draw the line in the sand. And my hope and prayer would be that today would be that day. Whether you've been a Christian a week or a month or a year or half a decade or half a century, that you would say, God, today's the day I see the truth in your word very clearly put. Verse 22, to put off your old self. I make a commitment to do that. That will influence the way you treat your wife, men. Wives, that will make an influence the way you respond to the authority of your husband. Children, that will make a difference in the way you respond to the authority of your parents. And all of us, it influences the way that we respond to the authority of the living God. And so when God says, put off malice, no longer do we say, what? It's so fun to be a person filled with malice. What? It's so fun to be a person with an unwholesome mouth. Rather, we say, Yes, Lord, you are my master. You are my savior. You are my God. I choose wholehearted obedience. Settle the matter of obedience in your mind on this day as you have come to church to worship. Paul refers to this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, and really you could say that the language is, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So if you're wondering, how do I commit to wholehearted obedience? Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. Secondly, I want to commend this principle to you, and that is to, to cherish the Savior who reigns and rules in the city of God. It's been over 30 years ago that John Piper wrote, in my estimation, the best book he ever penned, and it was his first book called Desiring God. And if you don't have time to read the 250 or 300 pages in that book, I can, I can summarize the whole book for you in one sentence. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I cherish the Savior. That is the second way I commend to you to, to put off your old self. Finally, I want to commend a third principle, and that is to cling tightly to the grace of God. Please remember that we cannot put off our old selves through some act of self-will or self-help program or becoming disciplined. Rather, we cling to the grace of God. How do I put off my old self? I trust Jesus. I trust his grace. I remember Galatians 2 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. The life I live in, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. So the first challenge Paul offers the Ephesians and also offers each Christ follower in the city of God today is that we must put off our old selves. Notice the second challenge that occurs in verse 23. That is, aim for renewal. Aim for renewal. Verse 23 says, and... Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
Look briefly at the meaning with me. The, the verb there means to, to be made new or renewed. And I like this. It means to come back to a proper state of mind. May I tell you that this renewal is always, always, always accomplished by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That is, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God. Mind renewal, you see, leads to life transformation. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the... Someone help me. Renewal, the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Move with me to the method. What is the method, what is the biblical method that we employ for this this renewing process? And I offer only one, and it's the most important thing we can say here. And that is, if you are aiming for renewal, fixate your attention on truth. I've always loved that word fixate. Not just look. To look is, eh, look at that over there. To fixate is, wow. Right? When you look at Mount Baker, it's like, well, look at... But you bring a, a guest in from out of town. You say, hey, look at Mount Baker. And they go, wow, I've never seen a mountain like that before. They're not looking. They are fixated. They are absolutely blown away. Please remember that mind renewal comes as we saturate our minds in the truth of God's Word. Let me give an example. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. The psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Or in Psalm 119.48, I will lift up my, my hands to your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 145, verse 5, on On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. And of course, we all know and are familiar with Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I don't think I read this scripture. This is probably the the most read scripture at the breakfast table with our son Nathan. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Over the last few weeks, I had a chance through a dear friend of mine to watch a documentary. It's an eight-part documentary on the brain. It's called The Broken Brain. And it, 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 it had some pretty life-changing information on it about, about diet and the relation of, of the gut to the brain and exercise and diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, and things that may even be prevented, the scientists are saying. It, it, it may be one of the most informative educational documentaries I've ever seen. But, but, there was a section that made me so sad as I watched this documentary, is they talked about the power of meditation. Now, from a Christian standpoint, that should sound like good news, but what these very highly educated physicians and scientists were commending is to meditate, which their definition is empty your mind. Empty your mind. 
So may I say this, that whenever you enter a phase, whatever exercise you're embracing, whatever book you're reading, whatever you you are doing to, to meditate, when you empty your mind, you are opening yourself up to the wiles of the devil. And so here are these highly educated individuals, educating me, blowing me away with information, and they stopped short when they said that meditation is emptying your mind. Please, never empty your mind. Now, the best way to fixate your attention on the truth of Scripture is to have a plan to read it. So if you're here today and say, I want to, like, like my friends who fixate on the beauty of Mount Baker, I want to develop a plan so I can fixate my attention on the truth, which means I aim for renewal. So you, you develop a plan. You develop a plan to read the Bible, and I want to commend version to you. Some of you are familiar with it. Many of you are using it. But version is an online Bible reading program, and there are multiple ways to read the Bible. I also might add, please be discerning in the plans that you choose. There are some plans on version that I don't, not only do I not recommend, I would plead with you not to even explore. And if you have questions about that, please come talk to me personally. The two plans that I would commend to you are, first of all, the McShane One-Year Bible Reading Plan. This is a, a Bible reading program that will get you based on your desires and time constraints either one or two times through the Bible. The McShane plan should get you through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in one year. If you are even more ambitious, I would highly recommend Professor Horner's Bible reading plan. Now, it sounds like that's a joke. I promise it's not a joke. This is a, a Bible professor, a theology professor by the name of Horner, who has developed this Bible reading program that can be obtained for free on version for your benefit. I should tell you this, whenever I speak to a Christ follower, and this has been over the whole course of my ministry and life, whenever, and 100% of the time, whenever I am faced with a person who is in a backslidden condition or has decided that walking with Jesus isn't what he or she wants to do right now, there's, there's many things that contribute to that. But there's always one thing that's constant every single time. I remember the first time I had this experience with a friend of mine in high school. I said, I named him my name and I said, why are you not living for the Lord? What has happened? I, I, just, I just don't know. I said, I have one question for you. Are you reading the Word of God on a regular basis? Well, no, I just really don't have time. I just... How many of you are tired of hearing the excuses? Are you tired of it? Right? Well, you know, it's hard for me to wake up in the morning. Boo-hoo-hoo. Well, you don't understand. I work 10 hours. I work 12 hours. I can't run. Boo-hoo-hoo. Right? Here we go. I'm sorry for the animation. If you desire to obey the Word of God and aim for mind renewal, you must spend time in God's Word. Take the excuses. There's a trash bin behind the church. Just dump them in the trash bin. No more excuses. Let's read the Word of God and be committed to it. Here's the principle. No Bible, no renewal. No Bible, no renewal. 
When the Word of God collects dust on the shelf, you, I will guarantee you, you will find yourself in a spiritual wasteland. It was... Many, many years ago, I was developing a friendship. You're going to think I'm kidding you, but I'm not. I developed a friendship with a Roman Catholic priest, former Roman Catholic priest, who was a barista at a coffee shop. Weird stuff, right? So Roger and I developed this this friendship over the, the espresso machine. Well, one day... I was sitting in this coffee shop, and I made an acquaintance of a young man who considered himself to be an atheist. And we got to talking back and forth, and I was doing my best to share the word of God with him. And he said to me, I have a challenge for you. I want to challenge you to take your Bible, which was open on the table, close your Bible, and don't read it for 30 days. Now, I was a very young and inexperienced rookie believer who had not even been to Bible college or seminary. And I said to him, Sir, that would be tantamount to spiritual suicide. I refuse that challenge. And so, my friends, if if we are aiming for renewal to obey the Word of God, we must spend time in the Word of God. So I challenge you to make Bible reading a priority in your life, to, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, which is to fill your mind with the truth of the Word of God, to memorize it. And I say that as one who struggles, as someone who's years old, with memorizing now. There was a day when I was a kid, I could memorize verses like that. You know, I memorized like Caden. Boom, 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 right? When you're 51 years old, I think that's how old I am. I can't even remember. It becomes more and more difficult to memorize. And so young people, while you're young, I would plead with you, memorize the word of God. Hide the word of God in your hearts that you will not sin against him. And as we internalize the truth of God's word, our minds will be renewed. Paul calls us to put off the old self. He calls us to aim for renewal. But there's a third challenge that occurs in verse 24. He says, we are to put on the new self. Read it with me. He says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is the meaning? I love this little verb, to put on. It means to to clothe yourselves. You remember when we talked about putting off? It means to take off a piece of clothing. That is, all the things characterized by the city of man. Now Paul says, positively, put on. Clothe yourselves with Christ. In Colossians 3, he uses the same verb. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You may ask, What is this new self? And if you still have your finger in Romans chapter 6, I want to explore that just for a moment with you and give a a massive disclaimer. One day, if God is so kind, we will study through the book of Romans together. I I can't wait. And when we get to Romans chapter 6, we, I can promise you, will spend many, many, many weeks in this Very important chapter. And so this is just the the cliff notes this morning. We already read verses 1 and 2, but now look at verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Question. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice a few things. What is the new self? Paul says in verse 3, we have been baptized into Christ's death. Verse 4, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that we might walk in newness of life. And that is, in our metaphor, walking in the city of God in newness of life. Verse 6, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 11, which we have not yet read, says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That sounds like what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 4.24. He says the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here's a brief description and a brief summary. Look at Romans six twelve to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Would you hold your finger there and go back to Ephesians 4? Remember verse 17? Paul says, you must no longer walk habitually as the Gentiles do. Now Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so instead of living like a resident of the city of man whose mind is futile, whose affections are like stone cold, whose, whose will is, is given over to sensuality, this person in the city of God lives unto God. The resident of the city of God has a passion for God. This person has a passion for truth. This person has a passion for the gospel. This person has a a passion for holiness. What is the method? I would commend two things to you and we'll close. If we are to be a, a people who are making a commitment to putting on the new self, number one, accept the truth. Accept the truth of what Christ accomplished for you. Now, as Western Christians, most notably as American Christians, and please don't be offended, especially Christians in Whatcom County, of which I am a part. We are so accustomed to to doing things to move forward. I will do it. I will get the credit. I will get the kudos. I will do it. I will check it off my list. I love lists. I'm going to do, 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 do. In the Christian faith, the gospel turns this whole approach on its head. For Christianity, as one pastor says, begins with a big... It does not begin with a big... See, I just did it myself. Christianity does not begin with a big do, but with a big done. Should I say that again? Christianity 
begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Let me illustrate. Many months ago, we studied Ephesians 1, and Paul said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But I want to earn my salvation. Does that sound familiar? Some of you remember when I preached a sermon and put a light. It's the scariest thing I think I've ever done in my life because I don't do heights. I climb up two stairs like like a little, little girl, right? I climbed to the top. Remember, I preached that sermon up there. We, we like to climb the ladder and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good things. And even, even make it sound Christian. I'm going to do good things for the glory of God, right? Well, this writer says this. Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Done. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Done. Even when we are dead in trans, trans, trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Done. By grace you have been saved. Done. And so we, we accept the truth of what Jesus accomplished in our behalf. Secondly, may I encourage you to appropriate the truth of the gospel. That is, we put into practice what God says is true about us. Since God has chosen us, since he has granted us an eternal inheritance, since he has extended grace and saved us from our sins, and since he has seated us in the heavenly places, here's our responsibility to begin to act like it. We begin to act like it, which is to say we walk in a manner of the calling to which we have been called. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. We make a determination to no longer walk like a resident in the city of man. We put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul cries out with fiery resolve and he addresses these Ephesian believers. Stop living like pagans and start living like followers of Jesus Christ. But he makes that same plea to you and I if we are residents of the city of God. He calls those residents of the city of God to put off our old selves, to aim for renewal, and to put on the new self. Scripture calls both the attenders at Christ Fellowship and the members of Christ Fellowship to stop living like pagans and start living like followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the heart of Paul's challenge in this passage is the theme of sanctification. We are called to be progressively conformed into the image of Christ. And please understand once again that your only hope in accomplishing these three challenges is not in self-effort. Your only hope is the gospel. In and of ourselves, we will fall every time. Self-effort will only frustrate us and will end up once again living like a citizen of the city of God. And so we must rely exclusively on God's grace. Putting off your old self, aiming for renewal, putting on the new self requires faith in the Son of God who died for the sins of everyone who would ever believe. 
I want to give a final challenge to the residents of the city of God. I want to send you away away with something practical, something that you can really sink your teeth into. And the challenge is threefold. Number one, identify. Identify. Will you identify something or anything in your life that is preventing you from living like a full-fledged member in the city of God? We take just a moment, even now in the quietness of the moment, and and say to God, God, what is it that is preventing me from being in this position where I would obey you fully? Number two, confess. Whatever you have identified, it might be one thing, it might be ten things or more, whatever you have identified that's holding you back from living as a a full-fledged member of the city of God, confess it. This is so simple. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of how many of your sins? All your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. And finally, walk. And I chose that word specifically because Paul says that we are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. We walk in obedience. 1 Corinthians says, But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this is my challenge for the residents of the city of God. But I want to close by offering a, a challenge to the residents of the city of man once again. If you're a resident in the city of man and understand that your mind is futile and your heart is stone cold and your will is free to only sin. The challenge for you this morning is to turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do an about face. Repentance means to do a 180 degree turn. You turn from your sin and you turn to the cross and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your new leader, to be your savior, to be the CEO of your life, to be your God, to be your savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Let's pray. If you're here in the city of man, would you merely cry out to God and say, God, I I have violated your law. God, my... I've come to this realization that my mind is futile. My heart is like a stone-cold rock. My will is obstinate, and it freely does one thing. It sins. And so, God, I realize my desperate condition this morning. I cry out to you and ask that you would forgive me, all because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for me. I turn from my sin and I turn to my newfound Savior and ask you to enable me now to live a life that is pleasing to you. And for all the residents, and there are many this morning, of the city of God. I pray, Lord, that you would enable each one by your grace and for your glory. That you would help them to identify anything that is a stumbling block in their lives. That they would confess it to you. They would find mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that they would make a new resolution today to walk in obedience. And we know, God, that you'll be greatly glorified as we obey as your people. We come now to the Lord's table and ask that you would bless this short time that we have to observe the elements in keeping with uh, the tenets of the New Testament where the Lord Jesus says to remember these things until I come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.